If I saw a new Kit Kat, I would not pass it by. Hello and welcome to Root and Bone, the podcast where we find chefs, cooks, critics, writers and anyone else we'd like to meet from the UK's food culture and persuade them to invite us over. We ask them to cook the meal that means the most to them and while they cook, we talk about food, about life and about anything they feel like. This week's guest is a true original, a boy from rural Wisconsin who fell in love with Japan, went there to study, fell in love with an English woman, won MasterChef and now makes a living explaining Japanese food to British people. We take a deep dive into the enigma that is Tim Anderson as we prepare fish finger tamaki rolls, debate the merits of television fame and sample a tartar sauce that the gods themselves might approve of. Dig in. The most important question for the Root Bone podcast is, what are we having? We're making fish finger tamaki, fish finger uh, hand roll sushi. And so that's going to be, we're hand rolling our own nori? Yeah, it's kind of like a DIY dish. You bring everything deconstructed to the table, the sushi rice, the nori, the toppings, sauces, blah, 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 fish fingers. Mm -hmm. uh, and you roll it up like a little cone, or I usually do it like a little taco. Uh -huh. And it's, it's actually a great way to have sushi because everything is fresh. The nori is crisp, the rice is still warm. It's actually, it's not just ridiculous, like a ridiculous gimmick. It's actually right. a really good way to have sushi. And why fish fingers? Uh, okay, so fish fingers, um, the, I made this first uh, uh, after Christmas last year when it was like the day after Boxing Day or something and I was all just, I was done with Christmas food. Yeah. Done with the mince pies. No more richness. No, no more meats and gravies and potatoes yeah. and stuff. I wanted Japanese food and I wanted sushi in particular, but like uh, there was nowhere to go around here and didn't have any good fish in the house, but we had fish fingers. And I think, so this was also around the time when Nigella, she posted a recipe for this fish finger borta, which um, was originally a recipe by Ash Sarkar, who's a, a journalist. Uh, like I guess they're friends or something, and it's 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 sort of like a like a dry spiced Indian stir fry uh, with with fish whole fingers, fish fingers with chopped or up chopped fish, up fingers. fish fingers. So you roast the fish, you you cook the fish fingers in the oven first, and then you fry off some onions and mustard seeds and stuff, and then at the end you sort of smash up the fish fingers and mix it all together. And this recipe went kind of viral around that right. time, so it's, I think it must have been in the back of my mind. Um, and, but like then I thought, well, it's it's fish, it's crispy breading thing. Mm. Like why not? It, it would go with rice, it would go with mayo and soy sauce and wasabi or whatever. Um, so I did it, and I, I took a picture of it, sent to one of my Japanese friends, expecting her to just sort of laugh at me, right? Because um, it is silly, and that's why I like it. Uh, but she just replied, "Oh, it's like ebi fry tamaki. Ebi fry are the breaded fried prawns that you right. get in, yeah, 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 in Japan yeah. and in all the time. Same principle, yeah, right? So I was like, yeah, it's just crispy, you know, it's fish not, protein. Exactly, it's the poor man's ebi fry, basically. And you know, I would. This, I'm, I'm going to make myself sound like a terrible snob now because I always avoid <laughs> sushi that's got uh, crab stick in it. Ah, okay. Um, because in my head, that is like." cheap and nasty sort of fish, yeah. like reconstituted krill with the pink dye and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and I don't really kind of, and, and, and I'm, you know, I've, I've, I've been suckered into the sort of snobbery ah. of Japanese food culture, but that crab roll is everywhere. It is, yeah. It's and a I'm, staple. I'm, I'll tell you what's weird about that is that I'm a, sna a snob about what kind of crab sticks I buy. No. <laughs> Are they not all the same? <laughs> They're not all the same. 
Um, there's a type in Japan called karibako, and I don't know why it's called that, but um, uh, it's it's produced in a specific region. It's made using a certain method, um, and that's the stuff I look out for. It's the stuff that actually kind of looks a bit more like crab instead of the long strands of the fish. There's still meat. some actual it's kind of some, shreddable quality to exactly, it. It like, looks like the protein it's actually made of. It's not quite as like fluorescent pink. It's right. a bit more of And a, it doesn't have that weirdly anonymous sort of rubbery, clean sized quality to right. it. You where it could of, be packing material or, yeah. or wetsuit or... You, you yeah. can break it up in your hands and flake it almost like you can with crab right. meat. Um, so I'm a snob too. But right. I'm not so snobby that I won't do crab sticks at all. Yeah. I'll just, um, I'm snobby just enough to get the good <laughs> crab sticks, you know? <laughs> um, and so what are we looking at, by the way? So we've got okay. a bit of mise en place going on here. And so yeah. for people uh, listening, what we've got is pickled ginger. Pickled ginger. Pickled ginger. We've got mayonnaise and mustard. What's in this bowl of mixture here? So I'm making a, a tartar sauce, basically. This right. is um, a, a real Japanese tartar sauce is different. It's actually got like... Uh, chopped up boiled egg in it and like, big chunky onions and stuff. Like a grabiche. Yeah, okay, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, but this one, this is actually one of the first recipes I ever did on MasterChef, and it's a pickled ginger tartar sauce. So in here, I'm kind of improvising today as well. This right. is mayo, uh, chives, parsley, some Danish remoulade, which I just had in the fridge, um, MSG, and I'm going to chop up this pickled ginger. Uh, and so, so we... We got two sort of callbacks to our last episode because we talked to Tim Hayward a couple oh, of weeks yeah. ago. And he was raving about uh, the um, indignity of people thinking that fish fingers are not quality food yeah. because it's some of the freshest fish you're able to get your hands on. It because is, it's, isn't it? it's, 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 you know, it is, it is prepared, flash, breaded, flash frozen on the ship. Right, right, in yeah. order to, and even packaged in some cases, right, and then also talking extensively, as you might imagine, about the mayonnaise. So is this <laughs> QP in here? No, right. I don't have any QP today. First controversy of the day, right? Yeah, mayonnaise sauce with no Japanese mayo in it. I don't have QP on hand all the time because I can bash together a pretty decent QP substitute, right, using regular mayo, rice vinegar. A uh, bit of MSG, bit of salt, something right. like that. Okay. Um, and in, in something like this, where you're not really tasting the mayo itself, yeah, it doesn't need to be QP. Okay. Um, also, QP is expensive. I, I don't know why I still have this kind of like weird. I, I'm very, uh, I'm a very like indulgent person, and I, I don't mind spending money on ridiculous shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, <laughs> but I still have like in the back of my head this kind of Midwestern frugality that yeah. my parents had, and I'm like, how much? Yeah, for a really? mayo, yeah, four yeah. pounds. Yeah, yeah. Nah, <laughs> it's not worth it. Um, of course, QP is amazing, especially if you like. There's some things I think it really like you need it, and that's when you want the mayo flavor up front. Uh, I'll say that again. That's when you want the mayo flavor up front, like in an egg mayo sandwich. Right. Um, well, you'll be pleased to know that Tim Hayward's egg mayo sandwich uh, was a very well researched and so. delicate blend of both Hellman's and QP with added salt and a bunch of other things to make it a kind of, you know, perfect yeah. a priori mayonnaise that he had in his head. That makes um, sense uh, because Hellman's, like, it, it's got a bit more texture mm. um, and a bit more of, I don't know, it's a different flavor. Uh, um, I'm sure he's he could write the book on mayo. Maybe he will. I mean, it, it, to be honest with you, he's probably writing it now. Um, <laughs> the, uh, it was, you know, it was, a, the, well, it was one of the longest mayonnaise conversations I've ever had. Um, <laughs> And 
So we've got actually a mixture of, I'm assuming, fairly broadly available commercial brand fish fingers. You're not doing anything fancy on the fish finger thing here. They're not from Harvey Nichols oh, or God, like no, no. Mitch Tonks didn't hand prepare them for you. They're not even like the supermarket own brand taste the difference or whatever. Right, they're, they're like just, they're bird's eye. Bird's eye, but you got two different. You got two different kinds out of two different boxes, right? <laughs> yeah, that's cool. just out of necessity. Yeah, I, and I one's battered, some are battered and some are breadcrumbs. One's the crispy batter. I prefer the crispy batter. Right. Um, for this, it's a bit more. <laughs> calling it. Tempura is a bit too far. Right, but yeah, it, but it's it, close. It seems to stay crispier uh, in the hand rolls, so right. I do like it for that. But no, I got a Morrison's delivery this morning, which was supposed to include 26 crispy batter fish fingers, but they didn't deliver it. <sighs> so I got these from the co-op down the road, and they'll be fine. Nice. And the uh, so there's a rice cooker kind of yes. flashing and beeping away there. You've got, I would sushi imagine rice. you're pretty particular about your sushi rice. I am, yeah. I think that the rice is like, and I think most sushi chefs will tell you, well, not the most important part, but it's really, really important. It makes, I think, uh, one of the key sort of differences between good sushi and bad sushi or, or good sushi and great sushi. Um, like it has to be, first of all, the right kind of rice it has to be cooked nicely and then it has to be seasoned properly. It has to be the right temperature. Um, so this is already steamed, seasoned, and now it's just sort of keeping warm in right. the rice cooker. Uh, so we're ready to eat. Um, but like so often rice and sushi is just too cold, yeah. too hard, yeah. and like not seasoned at all. Like you've got to have that vinegar hit, you've got to have salt, a bit of kombu or something umami in there. This and so I how has this rice been seasoned? This is uh, a busted out the good shit. Good. Got, well, I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm some, very glad to hear it. Some good mirin, um, like an aged mirin, and some brown rice vinegar. Uh, salt and uh, b -b 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 dashi powder. Okay, yeah. so that's seaweed powder. That in this case, I decided to use uh, some katsubushi powder just because it was open. Is that fish-based? Fish. Okay, yeah. that's usually, that's dried fish. Yeah, like usually, bonito. Yes, okay. the dried smoked bonito, um, which wouldn't you wouldn't usually use in a sushi, but in this dish it works. Uh, but Is that yeah, to kombu. up the kind of fishy hit, and you up wouldn't necessarily do it? And yeah, up the Japanese-ness, because like. <laughs> Because katsuobushi, dashi, generally, they're like very distinctive um, Japanese flavors. They're, they're quite unique. Yeah. I went to a lecture by Akami Yokoyama, who's like a Japanese food instructor, and she sort of summed it up really well. She said there's two pillars of Japanese flavor, and one is dashi, mm -hmm. and that's the smoky fish and, and kombu seaweed combo, and the other one is koji, which is the mold used to ferment or kick off the fermentation of just a million, not literally a million, but dozens of, of Japanese seasonings, uh, sake, soy sauce, ko uh, yeah. miso. And people vinegar. guard their koji molds like brewers guard their yeasts, well, or some, bakers guard their, their sourdough starters. Some breweries in particular have like, yeah, proprietary koji strains. Yeah. But some of them are just off the shelf, like you get with brewing here. Right. Another thing that's really important, though, with, when it comes to sake brewing is the yeast itself. Because koji, all it does, it doesn't actually ferment into alcohol. It ferments, uh, it, it converts starch to sugar. Okay. And then they pitch yeast to ferment it simultaneously. And actually, the yeast that sake brewers use is sometimes more important. Than There's the some koji. amazing sake breweries um, that harvest yeast from plants around their breweries 
and they cultivate it. They develop mm. a house strain based on that. And it gives these amazing, like, really unique characteristics. And sometimes they do it with specific plants. So there's a, a sake brewery in Saga Prefecture, which uh, does sake brewed with, one's brewed with strawberry blossom yeast, the yeast from strawberry blossoms. Wow. One's from marigolds. They do one from, um, uh, I think, chrysanthemums. And it's amazing the difference in the, the flavors that you get just from those different yeasts. I mean, one of the things, I'm lucky enough, I've been to Japan a couple of times yeah. for like a fortnight at a time. So enough time to... Get it. Not, yeah, not, enough, <laughs> not nearly as enough, enough time as I wanted, but yeah. both times, like, you know, enough to kind of get into it. And I mean, the, the kind of, it's impossible, and like, you know this much better than I, it's impossible to go 100 yards in Japan without somebody insisting, essentially, that you should probably have something to eat or, or, <laughs> or, or, or drink. You know, the, not necessarily the reverence for food in Japanese culture, but the, the sort of size and the strength of the role that it plays. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. Yeah, yeah. You know, and the, um, I think it's one of the most, and, 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 and as a result, there are a gazillion flavors of everything that they make, and there are a thousand yeah, yeah. variations on this and that, whatever, and it's an endless yeah. experiment. In the, you know, the, it seems oddly rooted in one hand on some very stiff sort of traditions and principles, Yeah, but then wildly kind of, wildly crazily like falling over itself creative on the other end yeah I, I think that's absolutely right like I struggle a lot with the question of like what what is it that makes Japanese food special because yeah. like the, the the answers to that question that are always trotted out could almost be applied to any kind of cuisine right because they're too, too general like yeah I don't know if you know about how Japanese cuisine is considered it's on the list UNESCO's list of uh intangible cultural heritage worth preserving. There's an intangible cultural heritage list. Yeah, and it, it's got things on it like... <laughs> that sounds like fun. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's to some degree. Um, How do you even codify something like that? It's, uh, it's a problem, it's, right? it's very political. Yeah. That's the one thing. Um, I can't remember what's, what else is on the list, but um, uh, Japan, Japanese food was one of the first, if not the first, like cuisine to be on there. Right. But Korea applied... Um, to be on that list a year or two earlier and they got rejected because they had pitched something like too specific. They pitched this like, uh, or they proposed this, I think it was like the Korean equivalent of kaiseki. So like this very high end, yeah. formal, traditional way of Korean dining. Very ritualistic. Yeah. And, okay. Um, and Japan saw that and they're like, whoa, we better like rein ourselves in. Mm. So they put together this like profile of Japanese food or washoku uh, specifically, which is like traditional Japanese food. Um, that I wish I had the description in front of me, but it includes things like seasonal dishes, things served on small plates to share. Yeah, um, yeah, it was like that. Sounds, like, yeah, you can get that in Weatherspoons. Exactly. <laughs> it's because they, they they dialed it back to be more generic, um, and uh, and and it, it doesn't answer the question of like what makes Japanese food really good, and especially when it comes to like why there is this creativity and this innovation everywhere. It's something I'm like thinking about all the time because I, I I don't know like where mm. it comes from. It could be some 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 part of me makes me think it's like oh it's it's just capitalism. Yeah. They're always trying to come out with new things because it's a busy market where yeah. everybody's at it trying to come up with the cool thing. I mean, presumably for you, if you can crack the sort of the snack du jour yeah. in Japanese culture, you're going to make a billion dollars. I mean, in I'm a gonna, year. Think about like the Japanese Kit Kat 
phenomenon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When yeah. I was in Japan, if I saw a new Kit Kat, I would not pass it by. No. I would just say, new Kit Kat, I'm trying that because I wanted to try it, you know? Yeah, I don't strawberries know and cream, green tea, uh, yeah. you know, mustard. Wasabi. There's a wasabi Kit yeah. Kat. I know, I know. Um, I, and I don't know why this hasn't caught on more in other countries. Like, you know, what are the Kit Kat flavors here? Orange. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. You know? Thanks but, for nothing. <laughs> but and so just so you are this is this is a moment of great delight for me. So in many ways what we're looking at is a very standard British domestic culinary scene here <laughs> in that we've got a bunch of random fish fingers on foil right. that have been baked in the oven. <laughs> but you gently rotated them uh, so they can cook on the other side with a pair of chopsticks. Well, which is summing up the sort of uh, the fusion of the thing really quite neatly for me. Yeah. What else is going on by the oh, way? Oh, just setting a timer. Okay, cool. <laughs> I use the microwave as a timer. Well, otherwise you need one more thing, don't you? I guess yeah. you use your phone or Alexa or whatever. Yeah, I've tried using um, Alexa, but she doesn't always listen. <laughs> she doesn't. Right. Um, then your or, fish or, fingers are... Or sometimes she forgets to tell you, yeah. essentially, and then your, well, your fish fingers burn, for Terrible. example. These do, I should say, for the purpose of this dish, I like the fish fingers to be a little bit overcooked. Right. Because they don't need to be super juicy because you're going to put them with mayo and soy sauce right. and stuff. But they should be super crispy. So in this kind of homemade you know uh, mayo concoction that we've got, do you mind if I dip? Yeah, I just realized I need to taste it and I, it's not ready. <laughs> um, so that's a very un-Japanese taste to me because it's well, got all the English herbs in it and it's got its kind of sweetness from... It's got um, probably too much remoulade. Right. I probably shouldn't have improvised with the remoulade. But it'll all come together, I promise. So add a bit more vinegar. Um, and... So I'm interested, if you don't mind me asking, how old are you now? I'm 37. And you grew up in Wisconsin. Yep. Um, and again, my knowledge of the, the sort of culture and food of Wisconsin is sadly lacking. Uh, but it strikes me as a slightly uh, odd thing for a, a teenage boy from Wisconsin to think I must learn everything I can about Japan. Well, the big one for, in terms of Japanese food was... Uh, uh, Iron Chef, right? which is this very over-the-top, amazing Japanese cooking competition show uh, that came on TV when I was a kid, and they dubbed it over, and it was hilarious and exciting, and yeah. like I'd never seen anything like it in terms of the format and the food and the theater of it. It was just it's, really, it's really, basically like medieval battle, right? Yeah, it's they super, call it, they, 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 like everyone's introduced like there's some sort of bloodlust-filled warrior. They literally, and they're yeah, wielding cleavers everywhere and like growling and screaming like wrestlers. They stuff. raise them up on pedestals from the floor. With oh, like literally, thick smoke and stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and then they get challenges from around the world who are all you know great chefs in their own right. Um, Quite stunty cooking as well, right? Some of it can be, yeah, like, yeah. and there was always a tension between like the guys who were real traditional and the guys who wanted to show off and be more modern. Uh, the host named Chairman Kaga, he dressed like Liberace. <laughs> like, it was just amazing. <laughs> like, imagine seeing that, at, me seeing that as a teenager in Wisconsin and just being like, what even is this show? Yeah, you know? what the hell is going on here? Yeah, and then the other thing, I, was, I watched the documentary about uh, Anthony Bourdain the other day, Roadrunner. Yeah. And that show, A Cook's Tour, that yeah. came on later. That came on like when I was 17 or 18. Right. And I, I realized watching that documentary that like that was uh, not necessarily just for Japan, but like that made me want to sort of explore the world more. Like that show in particular made it look so cool yeah. to go around the world, to go to East Asia, to go wherever and try new weird stuff. 
Um, and I thought that's that sound that looks great. That's what I want to do. Um, um, I think I'm just about ready to set this up. By the so, way, so please, so uh, despite the fact that this is a fish finger based sort of casual snack, I think it's worth mentioning that an extremely elegant sort of serving <laughs> platter has been prepared for us. Can you talk us through this lovely? We've got a lovely, beautiful lacquered square wooden tray here, and on the tray is uh, first of all the lacquered tray is from Aldi. <laughs> the home of uh, yes. Kaseki uh, cooking furniture, yep. yeah. Uh, so we've got, first of all, this is just some Sunomono uh, cabbage and wakame like salad that I made days ago for breakfast. And so cabbage and seaweed salad, is it pickled? It's it's sort of lightly pickled. It's got vinegar, yuzu juice, yuzu peel, a little bit of sugar okay. and salt. Um, right. Then there's the pickled ginger tartar sauce. That's just on the side, by the way, the Sunomono. Okay. So there's pickled ginger tartar sauce, little squares of nori, uh, some pea shoots, so, and the fish fingers themselves is some, this is really good soy sauce actually, it's unpasteurized. Uh, too good for this dish. Why does that make it, why does that make a difference? It, it, so I don't really know, to be honest, but every time you pasteurize something, you lose something, don't you? You, you sort of... Does it, particularly with something that's been fermented, does it kill some of the, the kind of live edge of it? Yeah, of I think it's got a bit less tang, a bit less aroma. Um, you got to keep it in the fridge because it'll carry on sort of fermenting. Right, right, right. And you can keep you can keep Kikaman on the shelf with yeah. the cap on for like 20 years and it'll be yeah. fine, right? But this stuff, not not so. Uh, Kikaman does a, they do an unpasteurized one as well, which I haven't had in a while, but they've got some kind of clever bottle for it that keeps oxygen out. Right. So, like, it doesn't really, you can keep it at room temperature and it won't What's go going on here? Sorry, this is just some shredded radish I forgot to drain off. You say that very casually, okay? So this is a bowl full of radish that seems to have been shredded by some sort of Julien <laughs> creating robot. That's very small, shredded, particular kind of radish? Morrison's mixed radishes. Okay. <laughs> and is this kind of, I'm going to take a wild stab in the dark. So this looks a little bit like the kind of, and a lot of Japanese food often, you, you essentially get your main ingredient served on what I like to think of as a sort of vegetable equivalent of packing material, which is that almost flavorless oh, radish that's yeah, been yeah, shaved yeah. into, the it's actually like a presentation pile. Yes. And it's just like a kind of pile of water shreds. They soak it in, in water like I've done, cold water, which right. helps it. It makes it crunchier, but right. it also takes a lot of the flavor out. And is that the point, really? It's, kind of, is it's it, meant it's a kind to be a, uh, refreshing. Right. Uh, not particularly flavorful, just something that's sort of, it's almost like crunchy water, like a bean sprout or iceberg. I'm never sure like, whether I'm supposed to eat it or if it's just been on the plate to essentially sort of raise the plate, raise the ingredient off the surface and make it look better. You kind of can eat it, but like it doesn't matter if you do or don't. Right. It's that kind of thing. Okay. It's actually too much. One um, of those things that takes more nutritional value to chew than it does yeah. put in your body. I mean, sushi would, or, or sashimi more like, would usually have a... Uh, made with daikon or garnished with daikon yeah. but i just love the way you know normal western radishes look did you grate those no i i put the, did them on a mandolin and then just ran a knife through them okay so again you know for something that's supposed to be a casual snack i think we should note that you mandolin <laughs> the radishes before we came uh, well, and i'm extremely pleased that you have i've never had a radish mandolin for me i do think that um, there's one thing that's like a common thread in all kinds of japanese food whether it's like home cooking or very casual stuff or, or very fine dining and that's like taking a bit of pride in your work right like you don't have to be a skilled craftsperson to make japanese food you don't have to be that practice but like taking a little bit of extra time to shred those radishes just so to cook those fish fingers so they're nice and crisp mm. i think it, it makes a big difference in the end
We have now sat down. We're at the table. Tim, you very kindly made enough for like the whole crew. Yeah. Uh, normally, I leave these poor bastards starving at the edge while I eat. I mean, it's not a full worse. meal, but no, 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 we no, should no. have some. And, and yeah. so, basically, like I guess we had the mise en place. We know what we're looking at. Yep. I guess you better make one and sure. talk us through it. Yeah. So I'm going to start off with a little bit of soy sauce, as you do. Let's pass some plates out. Just a little bit. And a little bit of wasabi on the you side. Pass the bowls as well, please. Yeah, sorry. So, like, so we're going to swap places for the boom, boom. sake of photography. Yeah. Because, you know, the podcast doesn't work without photography. It's dark in here. This is as bright <laughs> Don't as worry it about gets, it. I'm fine. afraid. No, it's fine. Okay. So, so I've got my garnishes, basically. Um, okay, bowl on the plate. Well, wherever. I okay. put it there, put it wherever. I don't have the right amount or type of crockery. So these are miso soup lids. That's right. Um, for you. Yeah. For oh, you. The and then you put some wasabi. I put the wasabi on the side just so that way I can sort of dip into it as, as needed. Is this real wasabi or horse wasabi? I don't think so, no. <laughs> right. um, uh, I, I have this problem with real wasabi. Sometimes That's I'll not a snobby them. question, by the way. No, I know. I'll, I'll buy the real rhizomes, the fresh stuff, because mm -hmm. you know, they grow it in uh, Herefordshire or whatever. Yeah. And then I save it for a special meal or a special occasion, and then I save it too long, and it goes off. Right. So I don't yeah, usually yeah, yeah. have the good stuff because I, I'm too afraid to use it. And that myth about it's kind of really kind of not the right thing to do to mix your wasabi into your soy sauce, is that true? I don't really know what the rules are on that, but I've seen people in Japan do it, so I think it's okay. It's okay, yeah. right? Because it's one of those, it's really easy for us to tell each other kind of, Sort of lies about other food cultures, right? You know the amount of the amount of people that are very picky about how Italian food is done, like way more picky than anyone being in an Italian home. Yeah, you know what I mean, you can't possibly yeah, yeah, do this with this or whatever. Presumably, I think we're a bit like that about I all mean, kinds of food, Japanese food being among them. There are definitely rules, but they're more to do with like etiquette, right? In, rather than how you eat. So, like doing that with your chopsticks, sticking them up in that bowl of rice would be a huge. Taboo. Because it looks like what you do to when someone dies, right? You put the, the incense rice. sticks yeah. in the upright in the little gravel thing. So that's you a terrible way to describe it. I'm yeah. sorry, but that's in a temple. You might commemorate someone's passing by putting two upright little burning sticks, and the chopsticks in the rice looks like that. Right? Is that the deal? Yeah. Um, so anyway, okay. stuff like that. You don't. You're not supposed to like. There's a lot of little rules which I, I won't bore you with, and I break them frequently because I kind of you get a pass if you're a guide. Okay, so <laughs> so Nor, Nori essentially held out like a like a like a tortilla. Yeah, or like you're rolling a cigarette almost. Okay, yeah. I don't know what you mean. <laughs> or a split. My mum's listening. Yeah. Um, and then a layer of rice. A little bit of rice. A lot of people put a bit too much in. Um, you only okay. want. Like, and you want an even spread, or like a bed. Yeah, that's, a, a, a that's be enough. A that's bed a good, for the fish finger. Yep. Dig in, everybody. Come on, let's get stuck in. And then uh, I would do. I put about you know that much tartar sauce. Oh, then so one single fish finger on one the top. One fish finger. You recommend the battered rather than the. I do. <laughs> um, Absolutely. Yeah. While we're being discerning. Yeah. Right. Okay. And uh, then, uh, and then, then the uh, pickled ginger. Yep. Mayo. Well, pickled ginger tartar sauce, I should say. Yep. Um, and then a little pea shoot. Little one. I put one pea shoot in. I don't think you need much. It's sort of more for color than anything. Okay. A little pea nice shoot on the top. Crunch. And then you're putting some a radish. A little bit of radish. Fingers yep. is okay? Yeah, fingers are fine. You can use oh, they the are super crunchy, more. these. I thought they'd be a little softer. Okay. And then... And then tuck in. And then 
sort of not even roll it up to closing. Like a like a taco. Like a taco. Or or if okay. you don't have too much stuff in there, you could do it like a little burrito. Kind and of this thing. is like a whole bite situation. No, and no, no. You take your time with this. Okay. Um, and are you dipping? Are you sawing? I'm gonna start and see how it tastes first. Then if I want more okay. salt, I'll, I'll go in. Well, I side. think you should review your own bite. Mm. Oh, good. Oh my god, mm. that is really good. <laughs> Man, I really like that. Mm. I like salt, so I'm going with the soy. This is going to sound dumb. I'm amazed mm. at how Japanese that tastes. Right? Is that a dumb thing to say? Well, no, because I had the same thought. Like, but then you break it down, and you think, well, of course it tastes Japanese. It has all these Japanese flavors. It's a Japanese format. Mm. Oh, with the soy. Mm. Oh, mama. The only thing that sets it apart as not traditionally Japanese are the fish fingers, but then that's just fish, so of course. I mean, I can't see that being vastly different with a breadcrumbed prawn in it. Exactly, yeah. A slightly different, kind of a more pronounced fish flavor note, but not, yep. I mean, it would be in the ballpark, wouldn't you? Yeah, totally. Um, no, I, I, I'm, I love this dish, and I love that, I, I love that it sounds silly, but tastes like legit. Yeah. You know? It really does. And would you, you wouldn't be surprised to see something as kind of fun as that or as, um, mm. um, as kind of genre mixing as that on an, in, a, in, a, in a Japanese's kite. Yeah, I mean, at all, all kinds of different levels or, or venues of Japanese food. Um, like, even quite fancy sushi chefs or Japanese chefs can get pretty silly and creative. Like, if you think of, um, what's his name? Zayo Hasegawa, who runs Den. He does things like he serves like meticulously deboned stuffed chicken wings in a little KFC box, right. you know, like stuff like that. Or, or he'll do a beautiful seasonal salad um, where the carrots are cut out with like smiley faces. Right. You know? <laughs> uh, just you can have a little fun, and I think that that's a through line through all kinds of Japanese dining. Cool. All right. So we. In an attempt to foist some sort of format on this uh, podcast. <laughs> We knew what you were going to make. You told us in mm. advance. And so I went to my wine guru, mm -hmm. the lovely Verity, a pallet bottle, bottle shop in Shoreham, around the corner from me. And we had a long debate mm. because I didn't look up fish finger tamaki in the book, okay. which I should have done. But <laughs> we couldn't decide. We weren't sure whether it was going to be creamy and rich like right. it is now with yeah. this uh, sort of sauce grabiche pickle ginger thing, or if it was going to be on a maybe slightly more astringent and spicy and right. have a bit more of a kind of acidic kind of cut through. So she recommends that we do the wine first mm -hmm. and try that. And then we should probably make ourselves another one mm. and try it with the, the beer. Sounds good. Can I make a nice one for a picture? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Um, there we go. You want me to make the nice one? Would you make my I can do it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay, cool. Right. If you could pass me just those two wine glasses, thank you very much. Um, it makes it sound like I have an army of minions. It's not true. Uh, and you need this, an opener. No, you got it, okay. We got it, yeah, and there's, I've got a bottle of okay. bit. So this is... Oh, sorry, you guys, uh, I didn't bring chopsticks. Let me sort that out. Um, and you're not drinking very much because you're going to do the kitchen cabinet this afternoon. Yeah. With I, Tim Haywood. With Tim Haywood and, and Anna Jones. Anna Jones, yeah. both previous guests of this podcast. <laughs> um, we'll have lots to talk about. Yeah. Um, be like, oh, that dickhead, yeah, he came to my house as well. <laughs> Jesus Christ, did he ever shut up? Nonsense. Um, this is great. Uh, and so this, she chose this because she thinks the, this is a very light Austrian, uh, how do we pronounce this? 
Gruner Veltliner. Yeah. I'm going to try that called Wagram. And this is supposed to be apple y, crispy, nice. Yeah. nice light notes. Again, to kind of go against the richness right. and the fattiness and the breadcrumbs and the mayo and all that kind yeah. of stuff. Um, and this, the, the beer that we'll get into in a second, would have been a uh, would have been the first choice or the first thing if there was a lot of chili in this or if there okay. was a lot of vinegar or there was a lot of um, uh, kind of slightly more citrus or citrus yeah. or high kind of like burning notes to it. Right. So Tim is just making a kind of super elegant one of these. Wow. Uh, for, always, for a as elegant as they can be. But again, <laughs> so the purple of the radish and the green of the pea shoot and the the lovely kind of golden brown of the fish finger, which is actually re looks really that looks like a really nice color. Yeah. Against the black of the nori, the white of the rice, and then the kind of yellow flecked with ginger. I mean, that is a very for a hand rolled snack. That's a beautiful thing. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's a lot better than like a tub of Pringles. Do you know what I mean? Right. This is kind of that is that is a serious bit of casual dining, if you don't mind me putting it like that. And this is the thing, like I said, I think like uh, you know even even. The principles of sort of Japanese fine dining and the artistic side of it, it sort of trickles down into the culture and right. gets into like even the junk food. Like it should be a certain way, uh, it should be colorful, it should be balanced, yep. stuff like that. So, yeah, you should make a little bit of an effort with your fish finger hand rolls. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you took the words right out of my mouth. Yeah. Okay, so, yeah, let's have a little. Little, have a little bite yep. and then see whether or not that we've picked. And if you don't like it, but you like, you, Sorry, you know, do what you need to do. They're not. Yeah. She's not a sponsor or anything. You can, if you don't like it, you can say. Um, we always try and work out whether it's going to really be a good match or not. Mm. I mean, I've got to say, I like the. Uh, it is appley, yeah, for mm. sure. I like the little bit of fizz. I yeah, expecting that. Yeah, I think it's natural. Um, um, so. I guess there's been a bit of fizz, fermentation yeah. in the bottle. It's also kind of like a lot of Japanese wines are kind of like, uh, not to use too like a wanky wine word, but they're kind of austere. Mm. Like they're quite dry and sort of um, not not very strongly flavored. You know, they're pretty subtle. And I think this is even though it's got sharpness um, and some fruitiness, it's it's not over the top. You know. Well, I'm gonna have to make myself another one of these now. Mm. Uh, just to obviously, because then we're going to try it with the beer as well. Me too. Um, just to make sure that it's all working. Yeah. Um, so most people, yeah, you know, particularly the sort of demographic 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 of this podcast will have seen you for the first time in 2011. Right. When uh, you came onto MasterChef. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think. So, and again, I'm not saying this to flatter you. I don't watch MasterChef nearly as much as I used to. Mm. But that was one of the seasons where I watched every episode. Well, it was, that, a, it was a particularly compelling and competitive season, I think. Yeah. And there's a um, reason for that. Okay. Um, why is it's, that? It's because it was the first year it was on BBC One. Ah, so it hit mainstream. Yeah. My, many more viewers. They changed the format. They had a bigger budget. There was more travel. Um, they took you to fancier restaurants for yeah, your staging yeah. and all that stuff. It was right? like everything was sort of ratcheted up that year. Um, not to say it's all, you know, it's always been a, a kind of a pretty, well, not always, but ever since I've been here, it's been a pretty intense show in a lot of ways, a, an intense competition. But that year in particular, they really went all in in every way. So, And were you conscious of that 
when you were doing it, like they, were they all kind of like we we've just ramped this up a notch, or, or was, did it all just you hadn't? I had no idea. You didn't yet know. <laughs> um, I so I'll, I gotta say though, um, they really get in your head, and I don't I don't think they mean to, but like the whole show, like the way they ask the interview questions and the way they sort of block you and 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 put you into these situations. Uh, blind sometimes it really makes you think oh my god this is high stakes this is this is the most important thing i've ever done right so the level of drama that they're sharing with us or, or or kind of the story that they're telling about how dramatic that is they're making a real effort to make sure you feel it too it seems that way because i just went back to record this uh, champion of champions special which is out um on, on new year's eve actually wow yeah it was me versus oh they made you cook again it's competitive again against four other winners uh saliha ping kenny and irini um who actually weirdly all came after me but um i realized like now with like the benefit of hindsight and just sort of in a different headspace generally i could see what they were doing with the questions <laughs> <laughs> mm. A bit more clearly, and I was like, and and the funny thing is, it still worked. Right. It still got to me, you know. Oh, really? <laughs> I was still like, if anyone should yeah, be wise to it, right? I was still like, shit, this is the most important day of my life. Damn it! Like, I gotta, I gotta cook my balls off. Um, <laughs> uh, and I did. I, I cooked really, really hard during that uh, competition, even though, like, you know, you, you don't have anything to lose in MasterChef, especially if you are just on the amateur series. You could get eliminated and go out and yeah, yeah. all you've really lost is your time and maybe a bit of pride but mm. um yeah i mean i always have said to people like if you some people say oh, i want to do the show but i'm not sure i could hack it or whatever and i just say well just you know do it because you don't know you don't have anything to lose nothing can really go wrong for you at this stage it's much the, the stakes are much much higher and this probably sounds obvious but they're a lot higher once you start cooking professionally for paying customers you know, because you don't have that excuse. Yeah. You can't say, oh, sorry, I'm filming a TV show. I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. Does it ever strike you as slightly strange that your journey has gone from Wisconsin to <laughs> Japan, from Japan to London, from London to MasterChef, yeah. from MasterChef to opening as authentic as possible a kind of Japanese food restaurant in Brixton? Yeah. And now you make a living, living in Lewisham, writing about Japanese food culture for English people. It's very funny. It's very, um, the, 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 the being in Lewisham part doesn't make sense. Like, wait, <laughs> let, me, sorry, let me start over. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, it seems fine, by the way. I love like, Lewisham. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I genuinely do. <laughs> but what I mean is, um, when I think about how my career is like writing about Japanese food. Yeah. Um, that tracks, that tracks all the way back to when I was a teenager, because like, you know, I've always been into it. No, I'm okay. I've always been into it. You know, like most people, I had a blog where I wrote about it for years. It was the 90s, but yeah, yeah it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, and then I kept it up. Like I kept learning and studying Japanese food and cooking it. Yeah. Um, so it, even though it's a very improbable career, yeah, it, it totally makes sense that this is what I'm doing now, but it is odd that I'm doing it here because that was never sort of part of the plan. The only reason I'm in the UK, uh, or the reason the reason I came here in the first place, is because of my wife, who's English, who we met in Japan. Um, but who knows? Because the other thing that uh, had to happen for the my current life to happen is MasterChef. Right. I mean, maybe not. Maybe I could have got some Japanese cookbook deals without that. But yeah. it wasn't going that Probably way. Probably not. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 
I was in the beer business before MasterChef, um, and I'd probably still be in the beer business in, in some capacity. Okay. Yeah. So that leads us neatly, <laughs> almost professionally neatly, um, to a segue where, so the other liquid yep. that was recommended by our in-house unofficial sommelier yeah. is, this is a saison, and it's, nice. we always like to bring something from West Sussex, where yep. I live, okay. and Beak Brewery is one of the leading breweries in West Lewis, Sussex. Lewis, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Good, good skills. I um, had them before, yeah. And this is a, could you pass me the label Ooh. in a second? So this is a saison, but it's a particular kind of saison where I think multiple saisons have been blended. She basically described this to me as basically kind of halfway between a wine and a beer. Um, and oh. this was supposed to be a slightly better match for something maybe a bit spicier. That's delicious. But I'm wondering how it goes. So I'm going to take a bite of another yeah. um, fish finger tamaki. It's a really good beer. Oh, man. These are great. Mm. This is your future. Just, just sell these. This one's been sitting. It's still crunchy. Mm. Mm. So it's very rich. Mm. The mayo kind of dairy hit is quite high. There's fat, there's rice. It's quite, I don't mean stodgy, but it's quite a substantial mouthful. It is, yeah. And then... Mm. You know what? I mean, I think... Again, it, we always end up saying this, but I think she's picked a winner. I it's think that's good. delicious. I prefer the wine, actually. I do. I and this is a little, um, the kind of slightly kind of earthy note at the bottom of this. Yeah. Isn't dragging anything down, but it's quite a line of, it's an extra note. Yeah. Um, but I think she's right. If we'd had something with chili. Mm. Um, yeah. It says the body to stand up to something like that. It does. I just put wasabi on the... Remnants of my tamaki, so. Okay, yeah, let's do that. Let's spice it up. And I'll put a bit more soy in mm. it as well and see how it handles it. Oh, man. Mm. Just set up a concession stand that sells fish finger tamaki. What are you doing? <laughs> That's really good, actually, with the wasabi there. Yeah. Mm. Really, it's just a great beer. I, I might. That's a good Christmas beer. I think I might get my hands on a bottle. Well, of if you have some, one of those sort of vacuum van things, you can just keep this one because we can't take it home on the train. I would just drink it tonight. Okay. Or well, <laughs> you can do that. Um, cool. I mean, that is yeah. that is delicious. That's worked out kind of really well. Really good. I think it might work with this soon tomorrow too. But you must have. You must be thinking about the next book already. Oh, the next three books are already like. In the pipeline. Pitched and bought or like? One's pitched and bought. One's going to be pitched and bought probably by next week. And then the other one, we're going to wait a bit. But it's like been given the thumbs up at least, the concept. And will you be free? Hopefully you'll be free to, will you be back in Japan? Will you be digging through archives and tasting things and meeting producers yeah. and traveling and all that stuff? Presumably that's the holy grail. Is yeah. that the publisher's given you some money and sent you to Japan to fill your brain with Foodie wisdom. Well, the only books I've needed to do that for, well, the, uh, so Nanban, the first book about Kyushu food, was sort of done from memory. Yeah. Because uh, I was not, I'd not recently, uh, or I'd recently still been living there. Um, but then Tokyo Stories, I had to go to Japan for. But then the Japanese books, uh, I just could write based on, you know, knowledge I already had and, and research on the internet and stuff like that. Izakaya book as well. And in fact, the Izakaya book. As a was a placeholder 
uh, because the book I was supposed to be writing last year was about Hokkaido. Right. And I've only been to Hokkaido twice. Uh, That's it was northern Japan. Northern Japan, the northernmost main island. It's amazing. It's really, really different from the rest of Japan. Um, uh, but I, I just couldn't write it in any way without going there. So that one's been pushed back until I can go, which will be hopefully next summer, fingers crossed. Uh, and then I'll finish that one up because I've, I've done a lot of research and, and some writing on it already, but obviously just can't do it without the travel. Yeah, right. Then that'll come out hopefully the year after next. Um, and that's like, it's been painful to not be able to do that one because that's like, a, that's like a dream project for me. And it's one that I thought would never get picked up because like I thought... I think it's too specialist. Yeah, yeah. it's like it's a, it's a niche region uh, from a, a still a fairly niche country in terms of people's general interest. Uh, but my, you know, I, I talked to my publisher and I said, this is a lot of like, Hokkaido has a lot of dairy. It has a lot of like... Uh, meat. It's one of the few lamb-producing regions in Japan. Really? Uh, there's a lot of pork and beef and 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 wild game even. A heartier cuisine. It's really? heartier. Is it they, cold, they, colder up they, there, right? It's much colder. It's it's a bit flatter. Right. And they also, in the 19th century, brought over um, European and American uh, farmers and agricultural scientists to show them what to do with the land because like you couldn't grow rice there. Right. Uh, not, not well anyway. Don't tell me one of your Wisconsin forefathers was imported into <laughs> Japan and showed them how to raise dairy herds. Not, not my great, great grandpa, but probably somebody just like him. I mean, imagine, <laughs> look, you're going to complete the circle. That's, Go I mean, with the triangular cheese hat. They're going to yeah, recognize it. Everything's going to be great. The, you know, Sapporo beer. Yeah. That's the beer of Hokkaido. It was the first beer in Japan, and, and uh, it's from Hokkaido, and that's why. Like, because it's... They, these uh, scientists or, or farmers that they brought over, they were like, oh, yeah, you can grow barley here. You can grow hops here. No you, you should make beer. <laughs> and that kicks off the whole industry and develops Sapporo City and blah, blah, blah. Uh, so it's just like this amazing... Um, but anyway, they're getting too far down this path. <laughs> There's still the traditional Japanese stuff there, too, and they do a lot. It's one of the biggest sites of, if not the biggest site of kombu production okay. in the seas around Hokkaido. Amazing salmon, amazing scallops, squid, huge spider crabs. Um, so all that stuff features. Oh, there's an indigenous uh, ethnic group called the Ainu, which uh, are still there, and they have their own distinct food. So it's amazing. But like my publisher was like, oh, all this stuff with like butter and cheese and shit. Mm. We can sell this as like a comfort food book, you know? And <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. yeah, and that's all you need to get get it in, like right. to, to get your foot in the door. Whether it's with the publisher or in people's homes. Yeah. So we've been very lucky to come here today, and you kind of crammed us in at the last minute. And I know you have to kind of leave soon and go and do uh, the kitchen cabinet. And you know, the we've had this delicious fish finger tamaki. Uh, we've managed to try two different kinds of booze. Mm. You know, before two o'clock in the afternoon, which <laughs> is always a good day for me. Um, and you've welcomed us into your home and into your life and into your sort of journey with Japanese food. So. It only remains for me to say, on behalf of everyone that's listening and on behalf of me, you know, it's been really lovely to come here and eat your food and talk to you and get to know you a little bit. So, you know, thank you very much for being on the Root and Bone podcast. It's been a real pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you so much for coming. Cheers. I really enjoyed it. Passion is what makes people remarkable. And despite Tim's impeccable manners and hospitality and sense of humour, it's his insatiable fascination with Japanese food that shines through in everything that he does. 
Thanks for having us, Tim. I love those tamaki rolls so much that I cook them again, note for note, for my family the following night, and I would urge you to do the same. Thanks, as always, to Verity at Palette Bottle Shop for the booze pairings. Thanks to Steve for the pictures, the gifted and loyal Thomas Duncan for his production help, and thanks to you for listening. Please like and subscribe and see more pics of the interview at Root & Bones website or on our social feeds. See you at the next one.